Hello, everyone, and welcome to this bonus episode of Irenacast. We are a weekly podcast of post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian landscape. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. I'm your host, Jeff. My usual co-hosts, Mona and Alan, are not with us today, but returning for this edition of Divine Cinema, with an S, see what we did there, are my guest co-hosts, my featured co-hosts, Adam and Dylan. Welcome, gentlemen. Go ahead, Dylan. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks for just, having us. I'm glad to be back. It. Yes. I'm yes. Glad. I'm pretty stoked about that. Last month for the 2016 International Podcast Day, we brought to you a bonus episode where the three of us, myself, Adam, and Dylan, reviewed the movie God's Not Dead. And we decided that we couldn't, in good conscience, continue without bringing you a look at God's Not Dead 2 since there was a sequel. But before we get into the review of the movie, we have some good news for you. If you enjoy this format, this series that we're calling Divine Cinema, with an S, starting on the last Tuesday of November and moving from every last Tuesday from that point on, we are going to be doing the Divine Cinema series on a regular basis. It'll be a regular part of Irenicast. So this bonus segment is moving to the show. It's moving to the big time. Myself, Alan, and Mona will still be the main hosts of Irenicast, and we will still maintain the format that you've grown accustomed to. But Adam and Dylan will be joining me monthly for a Divine Cinema edition of the show. We will watch bad Christian movies, so you don't have to. I think that's going to be our tagline. I like that. That's good, that's right? That's really good. Yeah. Um, so if you have suggestions for movies that you'd like us to review and talk about, you can always find all the ways to contact us at irenicast.com slash feedback. And uh, give us your suggestions. At the end of this show, we will announce what our first movie will be starting on the last Tuesday of November. So, without any further ado, here's a quick look at God's Not Dead 2. In this day and age, people seem to forget that the most basic human right of all is the right to believe. No prayers, no moments of silence, nothing. Think of the other children out there who are subjected to their repressive belief system. If we sit by and do nothing, the pressure that we're feeling today will mean persecution tomorrow. We're at war. What makes nonviolence so radical is its unwavering commitment to a nonviolent approach. Isn't that sort of like what Jesus meant when he said that we should love our enemies? Yes. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One of your students sent a text to their parents. Did this happen? If you're asking whether I responded to a student's question, yes. And your answer incorporated the words of Jesus. What were you thinking, Grace? The Thollies are asking that you be fired, plus revocation of your teaching certificate. How do we make this go away and not get blood on our hands? We let the ACLU do it. We're going to prove once and for all that God is dead. Nor in the matter of Thorley versus Wesley. Mr. Kane will insist faith isn't on trial here. But that is exactly what is on trial. You're looking to prove that Jesus Christ existed? Oh, that's ridiculous. I hate what people like your clients stand for and what they're doing to our society. You're under arrest. These people, they're looking to destroy you. Everyone's telling me to stay out of it. What is your heart telling you to do? I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. I am not going to be afraid to say the name Jesus. that a Christian's right to believe is subordinate to all other rights, then it's not a right. Listen, you are out of order. I charge you with contempt. I accept the charge because I have nothing but contempt for these proceedings. God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's so this movie takes place in the same town as the first God's Not Dead. It's about a teacher named Grace who is a Christian. And during her AP history class while discussing the civil rights movement at... Martin Luther King Jr. High School, uh, a student asks about Jesus's words in connection with Martin Luther King and Gandhi's nonviolent protest, 
Word gets out that Grace, the teacher, talked about Jesus in her classroom, which leads to outrage among school officials, the community, and even the, <laughs> even the ACLU. Uh, things escalate quickly, causing Grace, the teacher, to face a jury of her peers for her actions. Ultimately, it is Jesus himself that is put on trial. It's a fair assessment of the plot of the film, right, gentlemen? Absolutely. Plus the random three or four extra side plots that we're still not sure why they're there. Yes. And we will we will get into that. So let's start with how we started the last time and just say, is there anything good? Can we praise this film for anything? Uh, I'll start off. I'd say I actually liked it a little bit better than the previous one. Um, I was also drinking during this movie, but I, and I wasn't <laughs> drinking during the previous one. So that may have had an, an effect, but I thought there were certain elements of the film where I appreciated what the filmmakers did. Give me one example, Dylan. Sure. Um, so there's a scene where the, uh, the young girl who asked the question about Jesus and nonviolence, um, they're kind of focusing on her and her story and they have her sitting in her deceased brother's room that passed away from unknown circumstances. And I thought they really lingered on that scene for a little while. And I thought that actually provided a little bit more emotional connection than I was expecting from the, from the scene and from the movie to really dive into how she was interacting and struggling with her, her, uh, her brother's death. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that the, the production and the acting was decent in this movie. I think Christian production and um, acting in these movies has gone a long way since the the beginning of Christian cinema. And on a plus side, no one died. So that was good, yeah. right? <laughs> no one was perfectly like happy about the fact that someone died either. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yes. That's a plus. And they did a decent job of universe building. Like they're creating yeah. a pretty succinct place where characters can roam within the world that they've created. So that's, that's a positive. They've done a good job yeah. with that. I, I definitely felt that they're... You know, the previous movie was a, you know, felt like like a harm, Hallmark movie or something, you know, or like something you might see on Lifetime. Um, just, it's just really dopey kind of characters or, you know, cardboard thin. And this movie, uh, I thought, you know, this is, this isn't bad. Like even the script, I mean, the actors are way better. Um, they're believable to a certain extent. Um, there's a number, I think, uh, particularly the Grace character once, once or twice was kind of questioned about her faith. And I think once or twice actually said, I don't know. Like, what do you think is going to happen? And she's, you know, um, so there's a little, uh, deeper characters, I thought. And so it felt like, like, you know, like a move from the Hallmark channel to, I don't know, sci-fi maybe, or something with a little more, <laughs> maybe it was exactly sci-fi. No, I don't know. But like, it just, I thought the production was great, um, much better. And I wonder too, like, I don't know if this is like a political thing, like, you know, our current Trump Hillary thing, one looks amazing if they're standing next to the other one, um, regardless of what size you're standing, you know, what side you believe. If it had that kind of effect where I thought, man, just the, I don't know, the characters were just so terrible and the plot was just so boring in the first one that this one, maybe because you have a couple of really good actors in there, it, it felt eons better as far as production and script goes. Um, but then I don't know if you stuck it next to like an actual, you know, good movie, it might yeah. look horrible. It, it was a little, it was a little less messy than the first one where it actually brought the different stories together a little bit better. Um, well, probably a lot better because it felt like it was kind of jumbled in the last film. Um, well, well, let's start with the the beginning. So one of the things that we said good about the first film was that it did a good job of showing and not telling, giving you background on different character personalities. And they sort of did the same thing, although they were a little heavy-handed. There's a couple things I noticed <laughs> is that all the, the exterior shots were very clear, like here is perfect Americana, right? You had the American flag, you had the sports team praying on the football yeah. field, you had uh, the main character, Grace, enjoying the sunset with a cup of coffee. Like, it As was, the good Lord intended. Exactly. And, <laughs> and it finished, you know, multiple shots of the American flag yeah. in the background, and it was very, like, very clear from the beginning. And I don't know if this was done on purpose. So when they showed the high school for the first time, Martin Luther King Junior High School, you know, not... You know, they didn't make it obvious or anything that that's what they were trying to lead with. But as they were painting on the front of the school, there was a statue, which I think was its mascot, and it was a Black Panther. Mm -hmm. I noticed that as well. So, uh, <laughs> wow. so was that on purpose? or? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not going to give the movie the benefit of the, of the doubt in, in this case. I think that was like a very sl not so sly, underhanded comment about 
act, black act, activism. Wow. Yeah. It, I don't know if it was intended because they didn't mention, you know, they didn't mention Malcolm X, mm-hmm. but they did mention Gandhi and uh, the nonviolent protest of Martin Luther King Jr. So I, I don't know. I, I, I stopped and I was like, wait a minute. I even rewind it like wow. three times. And I was like, did I really see that? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did. Um, so, you know, good on you. Nice. Yep. The other fun thing about the intro is how just ridiculously klutzy the pasture they make. It's just, it's awesome. I think he spills coffee in every single scene or gets coffee spilled on him. And I don't know what the point is. It doesn't develop into anything. You know, he stubs his toe and, you know, I guess other than the fact that he has a bad day and that's where he starts and it gets worse by getting selected to go be a juror. I don't know. I feel like they make, they go out of your way to make Pastor Dave, who was in the first film, feel relatable. Oh, he's just a regular guy. He's a cool pastor. That's right. Okay. Clumsy Pastor Dave. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Everyone wants to be friends with him. And and even characters that didn't like talk to him, they would say, hey, can I meet with Pastor Dave? And I hear he's good to talk to. So there's this like ongoing thread, like Pastor Dave, he's the guy. Speaking of Pastor Dave, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but did you guys catch the end credit scene? Yeah. Okay. Dylan, did you see it? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, so if you stay tuned at the very it. end of the credits. After the lawsuit list. After the lawsuit list <laughs> and after all that kind of stuff, it's Pastor Dave coming out with his friend, Reverend Jude, again from the first from the first movie. And they're talking about, I think they're just talking about going to get some food or whatever because it's been a long... That's right, he's going to get him up a burrito a long, or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. And guess who comes up to the front of the church? It's the police and they arrest him. Because throughout the course of the movie, and I guess we'll skip ahead to this. At one point in the movie, Pastor Dave is meeting with a bunch of other pastors and another pastor comes in and says, we've all been subpoenaed to turn in our sermons. And I I didn't catch the reason. Is it because of the trial or is it just randomly they threw that in there? They alluded to a trial that happened in Houston. Okay. So they're referencing real life. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 so I, I actually did research on this because I thought it was so ridiculous and a misrepresentation of exactly what happened. Uh, is it all right if I give you the rundown? Yes, of, please do. Okay, so uh, in Houston, there there's a mayor, I forgot her name, but she was trying to implement some anti-discrimination lawsuit that said businesses cannot, whether they're private or public, cannot discriminate against people based on sex, gender, race, ethnicity religion, any of those things, by the way, of which religious organizations would have been exempt. And there was a set of pastors who were actively campaigning against the law that this mayor was trying to pass. They kept giving instructions to their congregants on how to go and have people sign this petition to have the the legislation repealed. Because of them actually dealing out wrong information about how to sign the petition, the mayor's office subpoenaed their sermons because they wanted to prove and be able to state explicitly if in court that the pastors gave out wrong instructions on how to fill out the subpoenas. And the mayor's office explicitly said, we don't care what they've been preaching about. All we're looking for is the information about how they incorrectly told their congregants to fill out the petitions. So it was very taken very out of context and obviously was trying to play into real events, but very, very badly misconstrued the actual facts of what happened. Yeah. So in in, in connection to the movie, so they, they kind of shoehorned this idea in so that they could have the end credits where Pastor Dave decided not to turn in his sermons and he got arrested for it and it was kind of this yeah. this plot line that was left hanging throughout the throughout the thing i'm assuming to God set up part three, three so we may have to <laughs> come back for the trilogy um and it, this was all in the midst of pastor dave himself being on the jury for grace's trial with all the stuff that happened with the school so let's let's start with there let's start with why grace was put in the courtroom in the first place so what exactly grace the teacher the main character did to bring such scorn upon her. Yeah. And and this is the similar to the what you just said, Dylan, about the whole kind of, you know, this other case that really has nothing to do. They just kind of like nod towards it, this is what makes the movie so unbearable, is that it's such a, you know, nowhere would this ever happen to have a lawsuit against a teacher who mentions just the name of Jesus in mm-hmm. in a classroom. Like any good yeah. and this is the problem with the first one too, right? Like no atheist professor is going to require that their students say God is not dead in order to pass the class. That's just silly or that God is dead. 
Sorry. <laughs> um, similar here. No one would be put on trial, no teacher, no public servant, no one who is in the public realm or even who works for the government um, would be put on trial for saying Jesus in response to um, a student's question about, I mean, and they talk about this in the film later that, I mean, throughout the film that, you know, like, well, there's nothing wrong with you doing this. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the whole premise is so weak and frustrating. Um, and it gets to what I find so f- disturbing about the theology that the movie is trying to espouse. Let alone, I mean, what I mean to say is the kind of the fear tactics that it puts in. So ultimately yeah. she gets put on trial because she said, Jesus, just the name Jesus and quoted from the, from the Bible in the middle of class. And it, um, and even did it in a way that said the writer of the gospel quoted Jesus as saying this and just highlighted, which is historical fact, the the biblical motivation of Martin Luther King and even Gandhi. Gandhi read the Gospels and Jesus and was motivated in his nonviolent protest and learned from, from the philosophy that Jesus put forward. So if this happened in real life, I'd be on board with defending her because she'd be totally in the right. You know, there was nothing that happened that was that was wrong. But it goes to what you were saying, Adam. That whole scare tactic thing, that idea that 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 martyrdom, that victim mentality that's creeped into a section of Christianity that feels as though the world is against them and people are getting arrested for preaching the name of Jesus, which they are not, and hasn't happened in any way, shape, or form. It 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 only becomes an issue when. When it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It only becomes an issue when they are trying to isolate and oppress another group and people rally around them and say, no, you can't do this. And then they take it as an infringement on their religious freedom. And that's the kind of the basis of this whole thing, which is infuriating. Absolutely. I was actually very impressed with uh, the Melissa Joan Hart's character's response to the student. I was like, oh, that was actually a really good... I think accurate historical response and the response that the school has is totally obviously not believable. And the movie makes public schools for one, just look terrible, which I think is a disservice and plays into another set of uh, perceived biases and persecutions against the liberal elite school system that a lot of conservative evangelical folks have. Yeah. And it, you notice, like, I think in two different scenes, they had a board room, room meeting where the first one, it was Melissa Joan Hart's, the Grace character, in there with, I think it was just the principal and two score, school board members or the school's lawyers, which mm-hmm. I didn't know schools had lawyers, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then the next board scene was, it felt like at least 10 people on the other side of the the table. And then it was just Melissa Joan Hart's character and her defense attorney. So it was like this increasingly like the word, everything's building against you. And even at one point towards the end of the film, she prays the garden of Gethsemane prayer, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> you're just like, come on, like this, this imposed martyrdom is getting a little bit, a bit much. Yeah. I thought it was deeply ironic how, how much of a us versus them theme this movie continued to to propagate, uh, especially in light of the f- the fact that they talk about this resistive nonviolence that is about that Jesus advocated for, that is about integrating the other into your experience essentially, and being able to humanize the people that are oppressing you through through resisting nonviolence instead of continuing to play into uh, this dualistic us versus them type of mentality in some ways to me that that's all all of those pieces show a little bit of how in my mind that the movie's well made like they they do create these like you know ridiculous to us which it is but you know if if that's your point is that you're trying to communicate look how much the world is against us like they do it really well they portray it in a way that's not at all accurate not at all you know realistic but does create this world that is believable for many Christians, I think, and is fairly accurate in the sense of, uh, I, I mean, accurate within the, the world of the movie itself, right? Like things develop in a way that really is convincing that, man, the whole world, the justice system, um, but yet within that, you know, it, all of that stuff is is all against us. But yet within that, like you're saying, Dylan, there are these ways in which it's like undercutting its own message, you know, yeah. it's this, you know, will you stand up and be persecuted? But ultimately, you don't have to get persecuted. You know, like, so, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, she, you know, the jury finds in her favor for what the movie implies are pretty terrible reasons, I think. Um, yeah. but we'll get to that. But 
you know, so ultimately she doesn't have to face any real persecution. So sitting through a trial, I guess, is the persecution. But like to herself, she receives nothing. You know, I mean, I think she gets reinstated at the end or she's not fired. Um, And so really the message is if you're faithful, you won't have to go through anything. You shouldn't, you know, you don't deserve to have any kind of problem, Um, which is exactly, you know, works against what the kind of the premise and the theme of the whole movie is. So it, it does, basically they're trying to have it both ways and it's so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And they're never even clear. Like they make the format of the trial a criminal trial, but it's not a criminal trial because she's not going back and forth from her jail cell. She's not on bail. It's a civil suit. I'm assuming they never really explain that. But they want I don't you to think f- they know how the exactly. legal system they works. Don't. They, but they they certainly want you to feel like it's a criminal yeah. trial. Like this is now something that's illegal. And and the the focus of the trial shifts to, like what we talked about in the beginning, a literal trial of whether Jesus existed, which is another myth that's perpetuated by a lot of people within Christianity is the fact that people are starting to say that Jesus doesn't exist, but all good, reputable scholarships recognize Jesus as a historical figure. This isn't like a a thing that's hotly debated and there's not people rising up saying that this is it's not some it's a non-issue for the most part but it becomes such an issue like as part of the trial they shift focus and this is their brilliant stroke of genius right is to prove that Jesus was a historical figure therefore if you mention Jesus as a historical figure in a history class then you are not guilty which they provided for because they had special guests right they had world-renowned apologist Lee Strobel, right. uh, The Case for Christ, uh, and then another author, I forget his name, but who wrote The Cold Case Christianity. Um, so so they, they did an effective job. Like, what they said was true. Like, yes, Jesus, there's plenty of evidence outside of Scripture that Jesus was a historical figure, but that 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 wasn't the point. And that's never in, that's not in, in debate. It's just not. So, and again, I'd say that's where the movie is a little bit better. And that it's not just some kid going to the library and like spouting off a few quoted lines from random like philosophers, right? You actually have intelligent people uh, saying intelligent things, although clearly they're not actors. Although the, I think the case or the cold case guy, no, that's a real believable. author. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, he did he's a really good. good. Job. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Lee Strobel mm-hmm. seems like a book plug, like from the beginning. It's yeah. just like well, there's a lot of plugs, hey, look right? At my book. Look at my book. Yeah. Hey, this Prius, and <laughs> well, and that's another thing, right? Like, oh my gosh, uh, a Christian movie that's saying positive things about a Prius. Like, you know, I would feel like the same folks who were, you know, all about this movie would be like, you know, well, screw the environment, you know, like that's just a liberal agenda. But like the fact that they're all for, it, I, don't, I thought that was kind of funny. Well, they pay enough money to be in the movie. That's right, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I guess you know they need to make their money. I loved. I absolutely loved the uh because it was so dumb uh the juror selection process <laughs> yes and the guy who gets kicked out because he watches his they ask what's your favorite tv show and he says duck dynasty and the guy goes well clearly that makes him biased I know, so yeah. let's get him off that which yeah. it kind of does all right yeah but, uh, well, not for the reason you were in right. all exactly. honesty that is a pretty valid well, reason i'm glad you brought up the jury selection because the whole jury selection thing was interesting so we talked earlier about how pastor dave was on the jury and at some point we assume by the storyline that god gave him appendicitis right because yeah. god, god broke down his car in the first one and this one he sends him to the hospital uh, yeah, so that he could be off the jury and then they show his his alternate which is this girl that's kind of been in the background throughout the whole movie you know she's a she's probably an older teenager or i guess a young adult she has to be at least 18 right mm, that's right and she has like colored hair and a nose ring so she's like this weird punked out yeah and you're thinking like oh no it's an atheist that's right and the whole thing <laughs> at the end is that she gets replacement on the trial and then they just like sit the camera on her like uh oh this is going to be trouble because we got rid of yep. the pastor and now we have this punk and then at the end she walks by grace the main character and kind of gives her like a smile like ah hello and then turns around you see a cross tattoo on the back of her neck right (laughs) it's just this such like this weird little uh, i don't even know i don't even know (laughs) yeah i know because it's it it, ah it is so frustrating because it's this hey look here's a caricature right like this person's really bad and then they play into it like Mm. we're setting you up right this if people that look like this are clearly bad people right uh they're so anti-society and the problem with america and then oh look no we changed it around and she is actually a christian i I don't know i just feel like that kind of falls apart on its own like you, you i don't know you're making the character yourself and then saying no look we're not like that we believe something else i don't know and then that just brings in to me this whole issue of so they don't really want a good trial. They just want to put a Christian on the on the like jury so that then 
that person will somehow, you know, vote in favor for her or something. So they don't really want the system to work. They just want to subvert it in the same way the ACLU, who is clearly anti-Christian, is trying to get... Well, not even, like, clearly, clearly. Like, yeah. they had that scene in the thing where the... the Which, by the way, another good thing about the film was the casting. Like, if you wanted someone... Because at one point, you're just kind of like, why don't you just go ahead and make this a supernatural thriller and, like, literally <laughs> have the devil? Because the way that they they directed the the prosecutor, which, a great actor, Ray yes. Wise. So good. Um, he's been in Twin Peaks and all kinds of great stuff. Like, yeah. great casting for that. But he... Yeah, yeah. he flat out said to the prosecution i hate everything you believe and i'm gonna and and then when he's meeting with the parents is i'm gonna prove it's finally time to prove that god's not dead so they weren't even like that god is dead. that god and is then, dead yeah that god is dead and then they they, they set him up as the angel of light character right because he yeah. was like yeah. all like charismatic with the jury and, mm. and it's just so overhanded in some yeah. ways that was by far my favorite quote from the film is that we're finally gonna prove that god is dead yeah <laughs> yeah who's the we yeah and what god the are they ACLU talking about is the, right. Right. the aclu <laughs> apparently well and i mean a yeah. side fun uh fun side note um a lot of the cases, I'm not sure, I had a hard time looking it up, but I read some stuff about other people. And I think even the case that you're talking about, Dylan, the, the research that you did in Houston, the ACLU is actually, I, I, so I know that they have done some things that are frustrating. Um, mm. I understand that they have brought some certain lawsuits that would really, I don't know, that might even bother me. But at the same time, they're defending tons of stuff. Like they defend students who want to have expression, um, free expression on campus. Um, they've defended students who uh, want to evangelize on campus. Like the ACLU is for freedom of religion, but within a particular context. And this gets into the whole legal stuff that the whole film uh, misrepresents. But the reality mm -hmm. that like, oh, we're being threatened in business or, oh, we're being threatened for our beliefs. And there's just this inability to believe or see that, no, you're not being threatened for your belief. You're being asked to, you know, to operate and tolerate like everyone else is supposed to. So, I mean, it's a different conversation to talk about whether or not we think, you know, are Christians specifically targeted or not, things like that. But all that to say, the ACLU is not this evil thing. Mm, this evil the, the organization about led by Ray Wise to take over right. the yeah. world. And <laughs> also, I was pretty happy that the judge was uh, Ernie Hudson from from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah. In fact, it I almost immediately after I watched this film, I went to watch a Ghostbusters two where the Ghostbusters are in the courtroom. Yeah, <laughs> have to fight the ghosts. Yeah, he he was a great character and somewhat I would say like understated. Like he didn't do a ton. He didn't draw a lot of attention to himself. But that's the other thing I feel like this movie did a lot better than the first one is he wasn't some like cardboard character. He was he was interesting, but you didn't really know anything about him. And you yeah, didn't need to. They didn't make true. it this extra point. So I mean, that's where like you had a really good actor doing something, but didn't really ever draw attention to himself. I think at the very end, he might have screamed or, you know, yelled when the, um, like the underage girl like runs in and starts interrupting the court. You know, he, he gets a little loud, but you don't ever like just leaving a character open like that to where they don't just nail him down. And like, these are the three things he does or the one thing, you know, um, like I thought, Hey, that's a really smart move on the production side or whatever, on the editing side or the writing mm -hmm. side, even you have this big actor, but you don't blow him out of proportion. I'm going to go ahead little. and attribute that to Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Let's, yeah. We can, let's yeah. just, let's just give him the credit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you mentioned that. So you mentioned the girl that burst through the courtroom. So kind of the, the side plot of this is that the student that asked the question about Jesus in the first place in the classroom, she comes from a home where they've lost their oldest. I think it was her older brother and her parents are kind of, you know, pushing her to, to, you know, get the best college and do right and don't mess up your career and be a free thinker. And through the course of the film, she converts to Christianity because she finds her dead brother or her, her dead brother's Bible appears to her, like you were talking about earlier and mm. not appears to her. <laughs> I should correct that. It doesn't just like all of it. The, the people who are taking away his stuff to the Salvation Army, which is really cold. If you think about it, like the parents yeah, oh, getting man. all that. Uh, but the, the, the Salvation Army, of course, right? found the Bible and they said, oh, we thought you might want this. And she realized in that moment that her brother was a believer. And so she's conflicted because her parents are the one that have signed the right to use her name in the suit. And she wants to express, you know, this is not right. And you find out that her best friend, her, her best friend's aunt is the blogger from part one who was diagnosed with cancer and was prayed for by the newsboys and who was healed. 
So I really think what this movie is saying is that Jesus doesn't save, the newsboys do, because they are yep. back again, That's right? right? And now this blogger from the first film who converted to Christianity at the end of the first film is kind of trying to get the word out there and is is back in the picture. So you have all these kind of side plots, how, how the, the people are coming together. Yeah, and you have uh, the Asian, um, a Chinese uh, student, college student, who Martin. from the first one, Martin, became a Christian. I think, did he become a Christian in the first one? No, No, he became a Christian in this one. Okay, so he technically becomes a Christian in this one. He's got all his questions about God that he brings to uh, 140-something of them or 160 of them that he brings to Pastor Dave, who has the answers, apparently, and is willing to sit down and give him the perfect answers to all of these things. He's a smart guy, that Pastor Dave. That's right. So, and then at the end, uh, Martin, and at one point, and this really bugged me. So, again, somehow the writers, producers, whatever, the people who are making these films think that anyone who's not like white or American is perfectly fine with domestic violence. And that happens all the time. Right. right? I so was going to say that. Oh, man. Yes. In the first one, it's the like uh, the, the Muslim father who hits his daughter. Like, and that's like this straight massive, up chokes her. Yeah. Chokes yeah. her. Right. And it's this ridiculous, you know, just caricature and horrible stereotype. And then in this one, it's the like cold, distant, the father who I guess flies over for this 10 minute conversation with his son um, and slaps him, right? Or does something and, you know, disowns him as his son. If you're not American, you do some weird things, you know, yes. but it's clear um, that that's what these pe- these people are like. They yeah. hit their children. Um, it's normal for them. It's, it's just frustrating that if you're going to bring that kind of emotion to the movie that you do it in this kind of, denig- not kind of, in a denigrating way, they don't paint any fuller picture. At least in the first one. They sort of do. Yeah. They sort of do, right? Because they cry after. So, oh, that's right. yeah. that's true. No, that's true. Yeah, they're, 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 uh, so apparently other cultures, they like to beat their kids, but cry after. Yeah, they're emotional. Because <laughs> they feel bad about it. Yes. Yeah. It was really Obviously. frustrating. Inside. But I mean, so I just feel like you can accomplish those things. I mean, I don't think it's a very important or an interesting side plot, but if you're going to say, hey, this character needs to kind of have some loss in their life. It's like everybody experiences loss, but really the main character who it's all about. Um, but so he experiences, you know, being disowned by his dad. So I don't know. It's just these like cliche one line, you know, here's what your face should look like, even if you get disowned, even if this happens. They're like little like offhand comments and sermons that are then materialized into characters, but nothing else is, you know, really developed. But anyway, Martin seems to be deciding he's going to be a missionary at the end and go back to his home. Not not missionary, I guess, but just become a pastor at his in home, his home country, in his home yeah. country yeah. of China. Um, and is around at the very, very end in the last scene, he's with the missionary guy who's kind of subbing in for the pastor mike dave dave pastor dave <laughs> uh Other yeah so if you're confused n- yeah it's because there's so many different things but he's there when he gets arrested <laughs> i was gonna say i thought there weren't as many useless subplots i thought they tied him in a little bit better so maybe that's another positive to add to the so you guys keep saying that and i think i agree with all of that but that's what makes the movie way worse for me than the first one because because of the filmmaking is better and the acting is better and the plot is a bit tighter, it makes, in a certain mind, it makes the premise like that much more real. Hmm. And to me, <laughs> the damage of someone being more on board with the premise of this movie is it, it, it really makes the movie awful for me. So it's like their message is so much better communicated that it really bugs you. Yes, it does. I, 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 I can see that. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk about two things. One is just an offhanded, um, going back to the, um, this is so unimportant, but I thought hilarious. When the U, uh, when the Salvation Army, <laughs> the UPS, because they deliver boxes too. But when the Salvation Army comes Salvation to pick up the stuff. Salvation takes boxes. Yeah, they take boxes. That's how it works. They show up, you know, with their, their do, doing the most devil. good. <laughs> the anti-Christ of the UPS world. Um, they show up in one truck. And there's like nine people or whatever. Like yeah. They just keep coming into the room and into the shot. And they all carry one box. Unfortunately, the Salvation Army can't afford a dolly. And it's this like, you don't have seven people in that. You can't fit seven people in that truck. It was just this weird like, okay, we're just going to keep sending people in to pick a box up to like, I don't know what, but it's just hilarious to and me. Totally like, ignore the and totally ignore the girl who's clearly yeah, more yeah. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure there was at least seven different people. And it's a truck that has like a single cab for three people that can sit in it. So I, maybe they'd ride in the back and I don't know. That, that was a silly side note. The thing I really want to talk about is uh, going back to the pastor's conversation when they all are sitting together and Senator Fred Thompson comes in. Uh, I mean, he's a pastor. I think he passed away not shortly after the movie. Uh Um, 
and he didn't he looked kind of not great in the movie i don't know if he was sick at yeah, the he time looked or a lot he looked thinner in this Ill. movie than yeah but it's this whole scene uh which i think will be you know maybe they'll even do a flashback if they do god's not dead three um which clearly yeah because this scene clearly its only purpose is to set up a proposed sequel but i mm. think the like the what's communicating it is the heart of the message of the movie which doesn't really connect to the trial so much but quoting from the movie you know the one guy's kind of like it's not that bad things are gonna you know we now we have to have our sermon subpoenaed and he's like you know this will self-correct people are just a little upset and then pastor dave says something about this is the whole thing that frustrates me he says viciousness it's so he's talking about uh the lawsuit and he says if we stand by and do nothing the, the pressure today will basically turn into the persecution of tomorrow it's the viciousness of the opposition. The message of the gospel has a standing in the way of a lot of things powerful people want. And our resistance to, ch- to change that message, because it's not ours to change, has made us a lot of enemies. Whether we admit it or not, we're at war. The war of, v- of Ephesians 6. If we, insist, if we insist on denying that, we've already lost. And to me, that is like the message that they're trying to send to every poor soul Christian that watches this movie is that unless you get on board with this kind of us versus them, all these people are against us, the government, whoever it might be is trying to oppress Christians. If we insist on denying that in any way, we've already lost um, and all our liberty or I don't know what is gone. And it just frustrates me to no end. Yeah, I agree. I think that part stood out as being most contradictory to the quote from Jesus earlier that they, that they said of, the whole turn the other cheek thing. Like it seems just very eye for an eye type of mentality to me is because of the the viciousness of the opposition. We have to respond just as viciously, maybe not in the same way, but, but still differently and still see them as, as the other. Yeah. But that's, that's the problem is what that pastor said. That quote that you read is true. Mm -hmm. But the problem is the people in power, for them, the people in power are against the fact that they believe in Jesus. But the gospel is clear. The things that people are going to be against you for are the things, and not the things, but the people that you're standing up for that are going to go against those powers. And I think they got this whole thing flipped upside down because you read those words, and if you read them in a different context, they're... They're right on. Like, yes, that's exactly what the civil rights movement is. And that that's what bugs me beyond yeah. every belief is that they're taking this this story and the the journey of what this story represents for Christians that are in the real world and equating it with the civil rights movement where people were beat and lynched and killed and had systematic oppression for decades and decades and decades. And they're saying, oh, well, we're the same. And that is that is gross. That is gross. Yeah, the equating of, oh, I had to sit through a trial that we won, you know, that is the same. Yeah. Or just even, you know, in the first one, you know, having a professor say whatever, like your grades might be at stake, even though you have plenty of white privilege and can do whatever. Yeah, there's this uh, assumed victimhood, yes. I think. And in some ways, this is what bugs me about the whole Duck Dynasty thing, too, right? <laughs> we'll go there. Is that it's this, we're supposedly really down-home people that just make tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of money. And hey, if the Lord took it away, we'd be just as happy. Like, can I say bull on this? <laughs> like, I really don't think that that, you know, I would love to see the show Duck Dynasty when they all go, like, into poverty. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to see that. I don't know. But it just seems like it's, it's trying to have both. The success that Duck Dynasty has had is built on the capitalism, the like governmental structures that exist that they're very much trying to attack in mm-hmm. this movie. Like yeah. the very fact that they even have the freedom to make this kind of a movie. Um, and although I don't think it's sold as well, um, just it's so frustrating. Oh and they gosh. pick and choose which authorities are yes. good and bad, right? Because when they were doing the jury selection, the the bad guy, the prosecutor, wanted the military guy out because we don't want that God and country right. stuff in here. So military is okay, but not court systems and school systems and all that kind of stuff. Like it was this really like we're gonna we're gonna direct you into which authorities to trust. Another thing that I I thought was expressly terrible going off of what you were guys were talking about the civil rights movement. They, they bring that up in the beginning of this, of this movie. And then they say that the ACLU is, is persecuting this Christian teacher who mentioned Jesus in the classroom as if to say that the ACLU maybe once was operating in a way that was in line with what God wanted, but now it's lost its way and it's 
persecuting Christians. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I may be wrong, and I'll correct this in the show notes if I am wrong, but the ACLU's existence is primarily due to the work of Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, I think most of the lawsuits that they are doing are to protect people's freedoms. And they happen to then venture into places where, yeah, when you have a teacher who is actively proselytizing in a government-funded place, uh, they're against that. Yeah. Which, again, at the end of this movie, they list all the court cases that inspired this movie. And if you go through those court cases, no one is being brought to trial for believing in Jesus. They're being brought to, to trial, for the most part, for things that they did knowing that they shouldn't do it in the first place and aggressively proselytizing and saying, doing all the things in the trial that they went out of their way to say that Melissa Joan Hart's character did not do, which was true, which yeah. was good. Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of those, uh, the, a lot of the lawsuits that they reference are lawsuits of Christians bringing to, like mo- the majority of them, I think, are actually Christians filing lawsuit against uh, some kind of discrimination. And, and some of them, you know, are, I think, legitimate lawsuits. And one of them, it was a student, uh, I mean, I didn't research all of them, but one of them is a, you know, it's like a grade school student who wanted to invite people to his birthday party that was, you know, or her birthday party, I don't remember, uh, at a church. And then the, um, you know, the administration kind of shut it down because, hey, we need to have separation of church and state. And I don't even think that was clearly their point. They just said, hey, this wasn't approved by the superintendent. And so blah, blah, blah. And so they file a lawsuit and the kid gets to distribute uh, whatever, no big deal. However, the third one lawsuit, I looked up this one and it kind of frustrated me, but it was at a community college and it's hard to find. I couldn't find the official transcripts online, which I could for a few other ones, but this one I couldn't. But it really seems like the problem was it was a pro-life group trying to, uh, they basically were uh, shut down protesting or, or from advertising their stuff because um, and they weren't even shut down. Basically, the administration wanted them to put like warning signs on their um, on their flyers and content because they're graphic images of what you um, you know we all know what some pro life brochures and stuff look like. And so they just wanted to like say, hey, we need to put warnings on these because they're graphic. And it became this whole huge thing of like, but this is our you know we're getting our rights shut down. This is free speech. Um, so I'm like, yeah, okay, it's your free speech, but I don't know. So these cases, all that to say. None of these cases are anything remotely like, and just like you're saying, Jeff, most of the cases are the thing they're very clear are like saying that she has no part of the movie anyway. But it's all part of this this image that is really frustrating to me. That's painting this picture, hey, Christians out there, and tons of churches are showing this um, to their, you know, for free movie night or whatever. Look how bad it is. This is the kind of thing that's going on everywhere. Um, And it's like, well, it might be happening in a very unrelated degree, in a very small way in some places, but it just fuels the us versus them. Yeah, it really does. And it's it's sucking in really good people. Like, obviously, the three of us and also Alan and Mona, we all, this whole show is based off of all of us coming out of um, an evangelical setting. But that's not to say that we still don't know good people Absolutely. in those settings who are doing good things and who are who have been easily influenced by rhetoric and film like this that that adds to that hysteria and adds to that fear mongering of everything's going to get worse. Everything's going to get worse. So yeah, it, that's what made the movie so frustrating for me is because the premise was so ridiculous and they did too good of a job of making it seem less ridiculous than it actually is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also want to note just, I don't know how to uh, put this in exactly, but that like, like you said at the beginning, all these perfect pictures of America, like even in the cast, like it's, it's extremely white. It's extremely like, okay, but hey, look, I mean, I almost feel like it makes it worse. Like, hey, look, we put a black person as a, you know, as a judge. And, and there was a number of characters. I think there were three. So besides Martin, who's kind of a main character, I would say, sort of. So he's Chinese or um, at least of Asian descent. We don't know. I mean, I don't know what the actor really is, but anyway. And then there's a woman who's, uh, I don't know what her role is. Maybe she's one of the other teachers or like a representative between, but she was on the school. Thing. I think she was the principal. Okay. So the principal, yeah. who's a black woman. And then uh, the judge. But then, you know, just whenever you sh- they'd show pictures of groups, like, you know, and the, just the ridiculously silly scenes of the shouting back and forth, all the, you know, atheists and everybody yeah. who's really mad who show up and apparently are super organized, show up and are like mad and yelling at the Christians the whole time who are just sitting there quietly on their phones, texting about who's showing up and holding their silly signs. Um, but even those things, you know, it's like they'll, they'll make a point, I think, to show like, ooh, a not white person. 
But for the most part, when you look at the group, it's like 90 something percent white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 90 percent something probably like middle class. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the demographic of Hope Springs. Hope Springs. Um, yeah. <laughs> the same town that the the school, the university, because they in the opening shot, they did the, they oh, showed right. the university yeah. sign from the first movie. But it just goes on to like this whole world that they're creating and celebrating or trying to like fix is this very, you know, extremely white middle class kind of 50s 1950s image that's just not, not true. true it's not even close to reality Mm-mm. no yeah because anytime i have a personal victory there doesn't happen to be a newsboys concert nearby that i can go celebrate in the at. middle of the day <laughs> in the middle of the afternoon and i get like you know hey most christian concerts i could imagine are happening earlier than like good concerts but um i love th- th- so there's a few random things in this movie that are just gems to me, like hilarious, like that makes sense. I think if you're an evangelical, but if you're not, are what I think be like, wait, what the hell was that? Like, so when she's all disappointed and sad and like not sure how the trial's gonna go, and you know, I, I think it's right after the Gethsemane prayer, which oh my god, like <laughs> it's a little on the nose. I don't think Melissa Joan Hart is like what she's facing is exactly the same thing that Jesus is facing in the garden. She's so alone with all these lawyers and tons of support, and apparently a twenty-person kid choir that comes and uh, I don't know, what is this, like Christmas? They Serenades her with how so great awesome. thou art. <laughs> how great thou art. Just shows up. Like, that's kind of creepy, I think. And then what happens after that? Like, she just closes the door and goes inside and they go home. I just seem weird. Like, that, seem, that doesn't happen in real life unless we're talking Christmas. Yeah. Um, and then the fun random Mike Huckabee plug. Like, oh, yeah, he was man. in like Huckabee's a two-minute oh, like, news. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. It just, who, it's, it was hilarious. A couple things like that were, were quite wonderful. Yeah, newsboys, Michael Tate taking the call in the middle of the conference, or in the middle of his concert to, let's all pray for her. This is bad. I'm telling you, every time the um, Reverend Jude from Africa and the newsboys are in the same town, crap goes down, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. It's so... All right. Well, let's. I think <laughs> there's plenty of other things to to nitpick at, but so let's give our let's give our final recommendations. We haven't figured out a, a, a rating system, but I think our rating system is going to be based off of like whether this movie is bad enough to watch, which is a coin that we've said throughout the show of Irenicast, one that that I personally made up, so I'm proud of it. Awesomeful, something that is so bad it's amazing, and you have to see it. So. What's a good rating system? <laughs> Off air, <laughs> Adam said we could we have <laughs> five bloody nails for. <laughs> I hope I get an email for that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get some hate mail. That might be too off the... Maybe as we do this, we'll come up with something. How many baskets but... of fish? Or <laughs> yeah. Stinky dead fish. I five get loaves. Three loaves and five fish. <laughs> there we go. Twelve disciples or I don't know. Four crowns of thorn. Three days in the grave out of three. Nice. <laughs> Is that good oh, or man. bad? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We have, to, <laughs> we have to figure that out. Well, we'll come up with a review later. Let's just say, do you recommend someone watching this movie? Is it is it worth, on any level, go check this out? Uh, I don't know. N- no. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a firm no there. It's it's not. It's just, it's, it's bad. I don't think there is a, a whole lot of redeemable value as far as the themes and what's what's presented as... Uh, what what Christianity is like and what it it means to follow Jesus. So, yeah, a big, a big bold firm no. I'm I'm going with you, Dylan. I I just can't. It's not it's not bad enough to be good. Yeah, <laughs> and it's 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 so it's so deceiving. Like it's deceitful. Like something that that seems to stake its claim on truth and putting the truth out there. It mm-hmm. is very um, loose and shady with the facts. I think one of the uh, rating systems I was thinking of was like, how much does my skin crawl when I find out that like, I know people who are watching this or like my, you know, my home, my, my church back home, when I find out that they're watching stuff like this as a movie night, how much does it bother me? And while, man, I'm kind of on the fence on this one, because while I do think, man, it's horrible, I think for the the kinds of movies that are evangelicals are going to watch this one lines up enough with kind of the main normal rhetoric that it almost feels like it could be uh, like it's not going to add too much fuel to the fire. And it's not a horrible movie that when they say you should watch it, I'm not going, you know, I'm not worrying too much about, do you know anything about art or about movies? Because, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, if I wasn't a Christian, I could see like, hey, this stands okay as a movie that makes sense. That's not horrible, horrible. So in some ways I want to promote it and say, it's okay. 
um, to watch. But I wouldn't recommend anyone see it. Like bo- both of these movies, I would say have like next to nothing as far as information about what evangelical people actually think and believe. It may portray a particular, uh, somewhat accurately, I think, the kind of stereotypical culture of Christianity, but there really isn't any kind of Christian theology in any of it. Yeah. Um, you could swap this out for uh, like deism, and it's the exact same thing, um, mm-hmm. other than a few like random phrases they throw in in the sinner's prayer. But otherwise, like the first movie, you don't really get any sense from any of the characters that there's any cost to mm-hmm. really being a follower of Jesus or that it means any particular action. Yeah. So I guess that we have a resounding, don't watch this. Don't watch it. It's not worth it. <clears throat> one bloody nail, one loaf, one fish. I don't know. However, we're going to do that. Um, Four blind men. <laughs> no, no, no. There's 10, right? And one Four. gets healed. This is a 10 <laughs> blind men. Series. Nobody should see it. Oh, that's good. Maybe we'll use that. We'll figure it out. Tune in for our next divine <laughs> cinema to find out uh, which one we go with. Oh, um, man. So, so we thought it would be fun to bring some other opinions to the table. Uh, So we're going to call this take two. And we have gathered a couple Amazon reviews that do not feel the same way that we feel about this particular uh, movie. And we wanted to uh, share those with you. So who, uh, Dylan, you have one? Uh, Yeah, I definitely do. Um, All right. I'm so I, most of the reviews that I researched while looking at this were the bad ones, but I did found, find a good one and it reads so eloquently. Definitely a wonderful movie that shows how faith and love produce powerful results. It is a good movie for family and movie night and allows a chance to discuss key Christian values with younger members of the family. I was shocked by how easily my eight-year-old niece grasped many of the key points of this movie. <laughs> it was refreshing and eye-opening, colon, hyphen, close parentheses, which is a smiley face. Smiley face. <laughs> that is not a good thing. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, man. Adam? Oh, man. I, there's so many I want to share, but I'm, I'm just going to share three because they really uh, two of them are really short. One of my favorites was a three out of five stars. The title of the review was three stars on Amazon. Uh, verified purchase. It okay. <laughs> nice. It okay. There we go. Um, my second favorite, uh, not my second favorite one, but the next one is uh, five out of five stars. Wonderful for the whole family was the title. This is a wonderful movie. If you're a Christian, and I hope so, exclamation point. So thanks for the evangelism. This movie makes you feel like you're not alone. God's not dead. Teenagers really need to see this. I just love that. I hope so. You're a Christian. Mm. I hope you like the same kind of ice cream. Which brings me to my favorite review of all. Took two years to come out with a sequel. I enjoyed the original installment, but it wasn't in all caps dash 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 not really dash 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 a movie about christianity it was a movie about our culture it was about the baptist church when i was fat and had thin shallow friends it was a movie about then not now it was a movie where you become christian without repenting or mention jesus christianity was attending rock concerts i like the movie anyway colon and i like christmas movies kittens pistachios and ice cream this movie was better and i was surprised dot 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 pleased all caps i guess is a better word nice so we got some moderate opinions in there Mm-hmm. Um, this, the overall star rating on Amazon for this movie, by the way, is 4.5 stars and Rotten Tomatoes has it at 9%. So there's a clear <laughs> a little divide disparity. between the critics and the people who actually like the film. Which one um, is right? So, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's for you, the listener to decide. Um, so mine is pitch perfect. The reason that I hate this film so much, like <laughs> the, the response that this person gave five stars, by the way, is exactly why I feel like the movie is disingenuous in its portrayal of what happens in reality. So here's the quote. It says, The cast and pure flicks have done it again. Entertaining, stirring, true story about a woman. True story about a woman, which is not a true story, but the way that it's presented. Anyway, true story about a woman of faith whose classroom became a battleground because she answered a question about the similarity of the goals of Jesus Christ and his follower, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. The court scene that followed both was intense and engrossing. The viciousness and hatred of the opposition, both in the crowd and the courtroom, roused the teacher and her faith. 
A teacher in this present era may teach, indoctrinate, and even preach the virtues and values of any religion except the one that brought the United States into being. (laughs) Remember, most of our forefathers came to this hemisphere looking for religious freedom to speak, teach, and preach to their families and communities what they believed was good and right about God. So why is this basic truth a forbidden subject? I like the grit and unpredictability of the young lawyer and the grumpy pastor, which Grumpy, I never got the sense that the pastor was grumpy in any way, shape, or form. So I don't know who was he talking about when he talked about the grumpy pastor. No clue. Anyway, and the sincerity of the Chinese university student. That's the in a that's exactly why I I don't like this film is because that's the kind of response it creates. Like it, it is it all it is is feeding a cognitive bias instead of challenging people to think in a different way. So anyway, um, so I guess we'll finish with our recommendation. So if we don't encourage people to watch this film, what's another film in this genre that we think is actually good and recommend people to watch? Okay. I'll share, uh, <laughs> I'll share Jeff. Um, <laughs> is it my turn? Uh, okay. So I don't know if this fits into the same genre, but if, if we define the genre as, um, clearly movies about some kind of religious or Christian, even about Jesus, I've seen a really good movie um, called Last Days in the Desert. Um, this is Ewan, Ewan McGregor, and the uh, he he plays Jesus character um, as well as uh, Satan character. It's basically a fictional portrayal of the last three or four days that Jesus spends in the desert uh, during the temptation, the forty day temptation, and it is wonderful. It's probably the most human portrayal of Jesus uh, ever uh, put on screen. And that would probably bother some folks, but it's just this beautiful portrayal of his own kind of questioning who he's at. The fact that he's playing both characters and they're, and they, they show them in the same scenes multiple times. It's fantastic. It can almost look like it's his own, like it's his, his voice is just in his head about like, who am I really? And what's really happening? Um, it's a beautiful movie. It's filmed in California, um, in the desert. It looks incredible. The only thing problem I have with the movie I would recommend, and this doesn't spoil it at all. Uh, this, there's no spoiler here, but is to turn the movie off when it when it shifts. The last five minutes shift to like Jesus on the cross, and you can just stop, and then it ends weird. There's two two th- that scene, and then a scene afterwards that were clearly I think choices that the director thought, oh, I want to say this, and I want to say this, and it just kind of ruins the, mm. the the rest of the movie. It's just pointless. You don't need them. They don't take away a ton, but they're they're they add nothing to the movie. Anyway, Last Days in the Desert. Fantastic. Dylan, how about you? Um, I'll choose a movie in the same vein or theme of someone who is transformed by their faith and and what they see in an institution and wants to stand up for it. Um, and it's called At the Death House Door. It's a documentary, and it's about a prison chaplain whose job it is to essentially just be with inmates in their last 24 hours of life uh, as they're on death row. Yeah, you kind of get to hear his story of of what that job was like for him and see his his journey from being someone who uh, supported the death penalty to someone who is now actively, viciously campaigning against it. So it is a great movie, obviously not a light film. So it's there's obviously some heavy themes in there, but it is a wonderful film that I would recommend. And I would say if you want to watch a courtroom drama about someone who's actually oppressed, watch A Time to Kill. Uh, it's a movie that came out in the 90s and it's with uh, Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson, and Sandra Bullock. Good courtroom drama. All the things that I think this, in, in a lot of ways, on a cinematic plane, really tried to emulate a lot of the things from that particular movie. That was kind of the the courtroom drama, that and A Few Good Men, but I'm not recommending that one in connection with this one because uh, A Time to Kill is about a black man who is put on trial for killing the people who killed his daughter and really deconstructs a lot of stuff that's going that has gone on in the South and a highly recommended movie. Has both Donald and Kiefer Sutherland. It does, yes. Dad and son, amazing. Yeah, great cast, great movie, well worth your time, unlike <laughs> this one. Uh, so like I said, at the top of the show, we are going to be doing this format every month on our Renacast for the main show. So, um, as part of that, we want to make sure that we give you in advance the movie, if you would like to watch it ahead of time. And, uh, for next month, which the, the episode will post on November 29th, 
2016, we are going to be looking at a movie that you probably have never seen or heard of. I'm assuming that. But it is called If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? And it's from 1971. And on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 86.5, that's 86.5, you'll find um, links to that movie because you can only find it on YouTube. And it is the very first that I come across from my research. It's the very first Rapture End Times movie. And it is the very definition of awesomeful. It is... (laughs) It is horrifying and in, in a way that is very entertaining. Um, so we're going to be looking at that next month. And then the final week of the year of 2016, we are going to be looking at Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. We'll do a, we'll a holiday-themed mm. episode for that one. Um, so join us for that. And let us know what you think about this particular movie. If you have anything to add to the conversation, anything we missed, any suggestions for this format, what we can do going forward, um, we are welcome to that feedback. So you can comment at the show notes at irenacast.com slash 86 or go to irenacast.com slash feedback and you'll find all the ways in which you can contact us. And also at the bottom of the show notes, if you scroll all the way down, you'll be able to see all the all the different social media platforms and email addresses that we have for the hosts and for the show. So uh, let us know what you think. So for this final bonus edition of Divine Cinema, soon to be regular edition, I'm Jeff. I'm Adam. I'm Dylan. Uh, until next time. <laughs>